Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. It is a Thursday edition of Bird 65 here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. You got your Mac and Mac guys, Jody McDonald and John McMullen, here to talk about the Eagle moves that weren't as far as claiming players go, but reclaiming for the practice squad. They were pretty busy and got all their guys home. John McMullen's been covering it for the last 24 hours. Did you get a nap at least, Mac Man, with all these machinations going on? Uh, oof. I was going till about nine o'clock uh, last night when I finally tapped out and turned on some AEW wrestling. <laughs> uh, so I missed the beginning of that show. Didn't see your girl. I don't know. I was in and out, but I thought she. I thought she was going to have a match. They just did a quickie hit interview uh, session with her. But as always, looking phenomenal. <laughs> um, and she'll be joined by her boyfriend soon. I think Adam Cole. So. Yeah. Um, but anyway, people aren't interested in that. I, I do think 27 league wide, we put the over under 30 for waiver claims. Every year this happens, I gave that tortured analogy a couple days ago. I'm not going to go down that route, but I want to tell people, please remember this for next year. Right. When you're hand wringing about Travis Bulgum and John Hightower and Elijah Riley and Graylin Arnold. And guess what? They're all back. They're all back. They didn't get claimed on waivers. The Eagles have them on the practice squad. So um, all's well that ends well, uh, obviously. But 27 league-wide, and obviously there's 32 teams, Jody. So that's less than one per team. Remember this for next year. That's my advice that yeah. no one will listen to. Absolutely no one. I got to give you your props because you said – yeah, it, it may be 30, which is, as we pointed out, less than one per team. And damn, it didn't come in 27 right near the number that you said prior to the uh, uh, all the claims being announced yesterday. And yes, the Eagles got their entire team of cut uh, cutdowns through and then back to the, the practice squad, all of the players that they wanted. They returned 15 guys who were in camp with them and one outside uh, camp coming in from another organization. Uh, let's go through them pretty quickly, JM, just to, again, keep people updated in case they don't know the numbers and some of the philosophy behind them. Um, Jordan Howard, we wondered about, thought that the way that he's handled during the preseason looked like he was going to be a member of the team. They chose not to. Not only that, we said, all right, well, they could cut him and bring him back after a week. Well, they've already brought him back as part of the practice squad because you can do that with veterans now. And apparently Jordan Howard is cool with that because nobody else in the league was willing to go, yeah, we'll take Jordan Howard and put him on our regular roster. 
Yeah. And, you know, Jordan was very honest when he came back here in the offseason. He, he admitted there was no interest in him around the league after coming off a, a really bad situation in Miami when he signed down there. Then he came back to the Eagles late last season. Uh, he thought maybe it was over for him uh, until the Eagles called back and said, all right, we'll take another look. Let's see how much you have. Uh, so he didn't have a lot of options, and he was very honest about it. And obviously that continued uh, into the summer. And, yeah, best-case scenario, even better. I, I thought the Eagles would keep Jordan Howard because they seemed to like him on the regular roster. Uh, but at least early in the season they got him on the practice squad. That makes him a little bit cheaper, obviously. And then you can elevate him uh, early in the season if you need that running back. And then you can kind of gauge, Jody, from that point. Because remember, there is a limitation. You can only rise a player off the practice squad to the game day roster twice. So it's not like you can do it 16 weeks. you got to be very uh, strategical about it. And uh, if somebody like Jordan Howard plays really well when you elevate him, then you'll say, okay, let's bring him up to the regular roster, and then you'll have to uh, manipulate things and cut somebody and try to get them back on the practice squad. But this will continue throughout the process. I mean, remember, A, I want to say something about waivers, which I tried to explain. I had a really difficult time explaining it to fans, so hopefully um, I explain it better here live on, on Birds 365. It, it, the Eagles weren't awarded any players. Doesn't mean they didn't claim any players, and I'll try to get to the bottom of that as soon as possible. It's usually really difficult to find out. Um, but there were five teams ahead of them. So if any of those five teams took a player the Eagles wanted to claim, well, they were awarded to that particular team. So the Eagles were in a good position, but there were still five teams ahead of them. Uh, so they may have claimed someone, but they weren't awarded someone. So I hope that clarifies things for people. Um, but, you know, Howie Roseman mentioned um, there's probably going to be some tweaks here and there. I'll also point out, look, all these guys are on the street now. You can negotiate with them and still bring them in. There's only 27 guys from that entire cutdown that got claimed by other teams. So there's a lot of guys flooding the street, so to speak. And that's bad terminology today, and I hope everybody is is okay this morning. But uh, after what went on last night in parts of the Delaware Valley, but um, if you look at the ability to bring people in, you have a little bit more time now. So Andy Weidel can sit and maybe evaluate people with his staff, Howie Roseman. Doesn't mean the Eagles aren't going to tweak this roster because we have so much time. And you see it around this league. There's weird things going on. People cutting specialists um, and telling them, you know, might be a punter, might be a long snapper, um, telling them not not a kicker. I think they're too valuable. But, um, you know, you see it all over the league, and they're winking, you know, some of these guys are vested veterans, and they're saying, okay, just go home, enjoy the day. We're going to bring you back tomorrow, and it becomes a procedural move. Um, which I don't like, to be honest. And, uh, you know, people are gaming the system. The NFL will figure this out. Hopefully they'll figure it out and shut that down next year. But we'll see. I mean, the COVID rules, who knows? Who knows? They might be here forever. They might be gone next year. Nobody knows. But everybody's doing this sort of tweaking and, and making these wink-wink deals. And I, I don't think that's what the union wants. It shouldn't be what they want. 
Right. That, if it's going to stop, I don't know if it's going to be the NFL that stops it as much as the union stops it. Because, yeah, I think it's the league taking advantage of some loopholes in the league. Um, all right. Uh, back to the Eagles practice squad. If not Jordan Howard, they do keep uh, Jason Hundley as well on the practice squad. That was another guy that uh, some hand ringers might as Oh, if they don't uh, protect him, somebody's going to claim him. We're going to lose him. No, he's back on the practice squad as well. And the Eagles were, I would say, pleasantly surprised with some of the things that Huntley did in summer. It became a numbers game and the like. If they are going to call a running back up from the practice squad, do you think it's more likely Huntley or Howard? How do you think that plays itself out? Well, I think I think if they need a running back, it will be Howard. If they need a kickoff returner, it would be Huntley. So it kind of depends on what you need in a particular week. Uh, but if they want somebody just to play the position, it's going to be Jordan Howard, uh, at least early in the season. And let's be honest, I mean, you, you probably don't need a fourth running back. The question is, you know, Jamal Singleton always uh, talks about traits. What kind of trait do you want for this particular game against Atlanta? Do you want it between the tackles runner? Because you don't have one. <laughs> I mean, look, Miles Sanders is a great runner, but he's not, you know, he's not Mike Allstop between the tackles. He's not, he's not banging in the people moving the pile. Certainly Kenny Gainwell and Boston Scott are undersized. They're not that guy. Um so if you want a guy to pick up fourth and one, if you want a guy for goal line work, um, yeah, it would probably be Jordan Howard. You and I talked about the uh, Eagles and the wide receivers. Again, running back only kept three on the 53-man roster. Wide receivers only kept five. And there were a couple of wide receivers picked off, including one by the Jaguars with the number one overall uh, waiver pick, which the Eagles may have had interest in, but they didn't. Uh, get him, nor did they get any other wide receiver. So they brought back the two wide receivers who were here last year, who were cut in Fulgham and Hightower. Um, they they can be contributing guys to this team. They accepted uh, coming back to the practice squad pretty quickly. Uh, is that a good sign or a bad sign? Because, again, some people thought I uh, saw a couple of national uh, people uh, project Fulgham as a guy who could get claimed because he put up numbers last year. The numbers yeah. – were, well, people uh, noticed him, and that's usually right. who gets claimed if you get noticed doing something. So, yeah, he was probably the Eagle Eagles player most likely to be claimed. Um, but you do have to look at his history before those five weeks and after those five weeks. And other teams did that as well. He was a six-round pick coming out of Old Dominion, really bounced around. You know, before he got here, he was claimed off waivers early in the summer last year way before the final cutdown when Green Bay, I think, released him and the Eagles took a flyer on him. So he's been bouncing around and look, they were able to get him back and hopefully they can get him back on track and sort of teach him that that's what this coaching staff has been um, spun to us as, as teachers, good teachers. And maybe they teach him how to be a better practice player. Maybe they teach him how to be more consistent. Uh, and now you have more time to do that. So if you want to look at it that way, it's positive. The, the two slots that are remain open, one of them's going to be, uh, I believe, Milton Wilson is the name. You might have it in front of you, Jody. Um, Florida State defensive tackle. Right. He was in uh, He was in camp with Cleveland, Cleveland. 
for most of the summer. They're also going to sign Keyshawn Johnson, not that Keyshawn Johnson, a different Keyshawn Johnson, who is a wide receiver as well. He was in camp uh, with the Cardinals. I believe he was a six-round pick out there um, last year. So um, they're going to bring in another receiver and sort of, you know, who knows? You have Bolgum, you have Hightower, you have Johnson. Maybe, maybe one of them turns into something. Another position I want to get your take on it, because we talked about it yesterday, and uh, he was one of the guys that you said was a tough call for you when you were putting together your 53, and that's uh, cornerback Craig James, who is a uh, proven specialty teams-type player um, when Eagles put together their 53. Looked a little light on special team contributors to me, although I hadn't realized it. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, at some point, had become an eighth special teams player. Somehow I missed that, but the coaching staff was able to determine that. Uh, but Craig James on the practice squad, if they're having issues with special teams a couple of games into the season, he's a guy who might get a nod. Yeah, and, you know, to Howie's credit, if you if you go back to his press conference after the initial cutdown, he mentioned, and they've mentioned this last year as well, you know, we don't look at this as a 53. We look at this as a 70. And for the Eagles, it's 70 because they have Matt Leo, who's got an exemption for being an international player. But And this is – Craig James is probably a perfect example. They probably – we, you know, they're talking about – it's pretty obvious they wanted to keep as many of their young players as they potentially could that they think have at least, you know, pretty high ceilings as players. Um, and, and they risked losing – some more veteran types who are probably more ready to play right now. Craig James would be in that category as well. Um, thinking they could get them through waivers and they're right. So you got to give them credit for that. And now they still have them. They can elevate them. They can manipulate them. They can bring them up to the roster when they need them. Um, so it worked out for them. Yeah, they did. It's a calculated risk and it was one that they didn't have to pay a price for. And yeah, we spent these last two days uh, yesterday in the first 20 minutes of today's show talking about guys who are on the, either the back end of the roster and or on the practice squad. And usually that's not going to move the needle a whole hell of a lot. If it moves it at all, then significant. And that's why we're going to talk about it. And it may move it some, but is uh, these moves, these players, these machinations going to take the Eagles from Seven and ten to uh, nine and no. eight, somewhere though, three game no. difference because of guys that we're talking about today. No. Highly unlikely, but you never know. And that's your job if you're Harry Roseman and his staff is to make sure you give the coach the best uh, uh, talent that they possibly can. So let me go there next. After judging all these moves that the Eagles made, all the decisions they made, like the one they just made, and we gave Howie credit for with Craig James. Um, how much input do you think the coaching staff actually had here? I think they have inputs. Um, but it's, you know, as coach, I often, one of the problems with the coach GM dynamic everywhere is that the GM has to think about more than right now. Uh, and the coach has to think about right now. Now, typically, you know, especially if you're coaching for your job, in theory, Nick Sirianni should have, at least a couple years, certainly two years, uh, before people start going down a negative path and things aren't going positively. Um, so 
he's not one of those lame ducks who have to win. They have to win every game, and they're going to be pounding the table for every player they think is ready to play right now versus a six-round pick like, uh, you know, a rookie defensive tackle that looked overmatched in the preseason or a seventh-round pick that is changing positions and probably isn't ready to play right now. You know, they're not going to want those guys on their roster. And sometimes the GM has to say, look, these guys, they got to be realistic and say, these guys are going to be around here longer than you are, so I'm keeping these guys. So you have this disconnect, and hopefully we'll get to talk about that with Benny Serrato here in a a little bit. Um, For now, you know, Nick's going to be here. So he's got a little bit more room to understand yeah, maybe it's a good idea to keep some of the younger players versus the Hassan Ridgeways of the world, for instance, who, again, if you needed somebody to play right now, defensive tackle, Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave weren't there, you probably want Hassan Ridgeway. But how long is he going to be here? Maybe one more year, and now he's not here at all. So you had kind of have to weigh that stuff and – some of those are difficult decisions. Give me a uh, read on the 70, if you want to call it that, because, yeah, practice squad players are practice squad players. You can protect them uh, on a given week, but there is always the possibility that someone could scoop in and snap them up and take them away for you. So I think people understand the derivation between the 53 on the roster, all yours, the 70 overall, which are pretty much yours, but not completely yours. Evaluation of the entire 70 playing to what Jeffrey Laurie said last offseason in the uh, announcement that Doug Peterson wasn't going to be back, the Eagles are a team in transition. <clears throat> young enough, not quite young, trying to hang in as best they can. We've discussed it several times over the summer of moves that the Eagles made where they're not completely taking that step backwards to take two forwards. They're taking a, we'll hang in here in the NFC lease this year. How do you judge, because it was all speculation at the time, now we have actually have a roster we can put under the microscope. Did Howie Roseman uphold his boss's statement that this is a transition year for the Eagles? Yeah, I think he did, because he, he leaned on the developmental players more than those fringe uh, veteran players. Um, and the concern with the Eagles is, you said, look at the roster. They're about, you know, 25 30 deep where you'd say I'm comfortable with this guy. Um, and if you think about there, there's 22 starters. So, you know, if the wrong position gets hit hard, you're probably in trouble, but you got to start this process at some point. That's been the, you know, the Eagles have been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, trying to make another run. Um, and obviously that really went negative last year with all the injuries. The good players on this team are all over 30, all of them. Yeah, almost. I mean, unless you want to bring in Miles Sanders and Dallas Goddard um, and the potential of DeMonte Smith, you know, but the proven guys, the completely proven guys, the Fletcher Coxes, the Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Brandon, Brandon Brooks, Brandon Graham, they're all over 30, all of them. So at, at some point it's going to end and you got to start the process of repopulating to get guys Zach Ertz is in that category as well. To get guys up to that level 
And you can talk about the potential of Miles Sanders and Dallas Goddard all, all day long. I think they have tremendous potential. They're not those guys yet. They're not those guys. And neither is Devontae Smith. You got to get those players to that position. And by the way, more young players. So right. you got to start that process. And, and a way to demark them would be Pro Bowl and or all pro. And I know it's just a designation, but it does kind of uh, mark you as a proven commodity. You're right. Dallas Skyler, not there yet. Devonta Smith hasn't taken a snap yet, but we all believe he's going to be of that level. Until you do it, you're not of that level. So uh, I think your point is well taken. And, oh, by the way, Zach Ertz, we will get to him because I got one issue with Zach yesterday, who I know you got a chance to talk to yesterday. All right, not one-on-one, zooming your life away, as always, but I got a Zach Ertz point that I do want to bring up. Uh, we are scheduled to talk to Vinny Serrato, former general manager of the Washington football team. I guess I can say Redskins because when Vinny was there, they were the Redskins. Um, <laughs> he's scheduled to join us, talk show host in Baltimore, uh, 104. 35, 105, I always forget, 105.7. The fan down there in Baltimore. I forget where you can find Vinny on the FM dial down there in Baltimore. Uh, hoping to talk to Vinny. If not, come back and talk some uh, Zach Ertz and Gardner Minshew with my partner, John McMullen. Johnny Mac here with you. You're listening to Birds 365. As a hardworking American, you've never experienced how tough life can be until now. A catastrophic injury while working on the job. A personal injury from someone else's negligence turned away by other law firms in the region who didn't bother to learn your story. It's time to meet the Fritz and Beyond Cooley Law Firm and managing partner Brian Fritz. Badly injured? Call the Fritz and Beyond Cooley Law Firm. Find out why they say, we got this. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank.
Birds 365 here on the Jacob Beatty YouTube channel. You got John McMullen and Jody McDonald, your boys, hanging with you as the countdown is on. I'm your 10 days till the kickoff of the Philadelphia Eagles 2021 season. Wow. Is that getting close, Johnny Mac? It's almost yeah, that's getting, days. that's getting close. I get in the mock and I forget how close it is. Yes, we are that close. Uh, along those lines, Jim, we're hoping to connect with Vinny Serrato, ex-general manager of the Washington Redskins and talk show host down in Baltimore. Um, we've got nine days until the kickoff, 10 days, uh, whatever, uh, build in the day of traffic. Bunch of practices for the Eagles between now and then. What do you think Nick Sirianni is emphasizing in these practices? You guys don't have... Full access like you did during the preseason. Be there for the entire practice. You have limited. You go in. You catch a little of yeah. it. You don't know what they're doing when you're not there. But I'm going to ask you guys, and you do get a chance to talk to the coach. So you can ask him questions, and he'll either uh, reveal what he is working on or keep it a uh, uh, national secret. Um, what do you think the Eagles most need to do practice-wise getting ready for the Falcons next Sunday? Uh, practice? <laughs> I'm joking. Um Practice a little bit more. No, that was that. I'm being facetious. I I was a little surprised. They're getting that, better one percent every day, McMullen. Yes. Are you saying they should be getting better two percent? Is that what you're getting at? Well, no, just that they should be on the practice field a little bit longer. But you know, we've talked about that ad nauseum. That's what they believe in. Um, and by the way, that's most of the league uh, is now trending toward the way the Eagles do things, with some notable exceptions. Generally very successful uh, <laughs> exceptions. But beyond that, uh, I was a little surprised because we got Jonathan Gannon. Look, we, we, you know, last time we had Nick, we had to talk about the roster. So you really couldn't get into the, the start of the regular season or even, you know, what you're trying to do from a scheme or X's and O's standpoint. But we did get Jonathan Gannon yesterday. We'll get Shane Steichen today and, Michael Clay today. Um, Jonathan was was uh, I I was a little surprised because he said we haven't even started game planning for Atlanta, so you have some extra time. But they're treating this like a typical bye week in a in a regular season, and you know there you, the players get the weekend off. You really game plan like you game plan any other week. You wait for. Um, the week of the game. And it seems like that's the way the Eagles are going to do it. In in JG's case, I mean, he's got a long history with Arthur Smith. They're really good friends. They were on the Tennessee coaching staff together. Um, so he kind of knows him, vice versa. So I think they have a advantage or maybe disadvantage from that standpoint, depending on who takes advantage of that knowledge of each other a little bit better. But I did think it was interesting that this young rookie coaching staff and so many um, new pieces to it um, isn't taking the extra time to focus on the Atlanta Falcons. But then when I take a step back, it's probably a good thing. You don't want to get hyper-focused. You want to work on yourself. We always talk about in football, I, I think X's and O's are dramatically overrated. It's about execution. My buddy Colin Thompson always throws out the phrase because, you know, and, and congratulations to Colin for making the Carolina Panthers again. But, um, you know, it's about the Jimmys and Joes, not the X's and O's. Every football coach says that. It's about the players. 
It's about the players executing the plays you're you're calling, not about the plays you're calling. And I think Nick Sirianni, Jonathan Gannon are both smart enough to understand that. So the focus should be on preparing your own team, and that continues. This is like a an extension of training camp, and and next week they'll get into regular season mode. All right. Uh, it looks like we might not be able to get uh, our buddy Vinny Serrato up here, maybe a uh, scheduling crossing of the wires. Uh, so let me ask you about Zach Ertz, who I was glad to see finally made available for you guys. Yeah. All well, he's part of the world of Zach Ertz. He's part, he, he's part of the team now. Well, there's so many interesting things happening here because – you know, Zach is as happy as he's ever been. There's been apologies. There's been, you know, there's been bridges rebuilt. Everything's behind everybody. I know the head coach likes him because the head coach, that remember, when Nick Sirianni got uh, uh, hired, it was in the assumption, he, you know, he wasn't going to have Zach Ertz. So uh, he was preparing like he wasn't going to have Zach Ertz. And then all of a sudden, Zach Ertz shows up for training camp, and he's like, Oh, this guy's pretty good. I'm going to use him. So I think the head coach is happy. Uh, they seem to have connected really well. Um, they talk basically every day before practice. Uh, it's obviously it's obvious they get along very well. Um, Zach has said he's never had more fun coming to work. So everything's copacetic. And oh, by the way, speaking of you know Benny Serrato. Uh, scheduling court there. I tried to get Matt Lombardo on the show as well. Couldn't get Matt. Matt, he's he's got another um, uh, appointment that he had to get to. But you know, he reported in, in his column that what we were talking about the Minnesota Vikings when they lose Irv Smith. Oh, they called the Eagles. They called the Eagles about a tight end desperate, and how he's waiting there to pounce. Who they ask about? Not Zach Ertz. Dallas Goddard, Dallas Goddard, the Minnesota Vikings asked about. Now, I've been trying through back channels to figure out because I used to cover the Vikings. I used to be out there uh, trying to figure out what the truth is. Believe me, I, I certainly believe that team reached out to the Philadelphia Eagles. My guess is how Roseman said, hey, give us a first-round pick. And, and the Vikings kind of begged off, and they traded for one of the Jets' tight ends, which is Chris Herndon. Um, and that's how that shook out. But it's interesting. Now, Zach is smiling, and people are calling about Dallas Goddard. Boy, things change dramatically. That's being part of the National Football League. Things can, in certain circumstances, change on a dime. And it uh, doesn't mean the Eagles contemplated trading Dallas Goddard, but Minnesota may have asked about him. They ended up trading from Chris Herndon from the Jets, which I thought opened a possibility for the Jets to be a team that would be interested in Zach They might be calling about Dallas Goddard. Who knows? Everybody's going to call about that because all is well with the world with um, (laughs) our boy Zach Ertz back here in Philadelphia. And I'm a happy guy because, you know, all summer long, I kept pouring out, and Zach Ertz is still here. And Zach Ertz is still here, even though some of the media outlets. everybody likes to take shots at the media. Feel feel free to take shots at us. Because people take shots at you and I, so yeah, I I can join in on it too. And people, Joel Embiid. And it all comes down to how you report it. And, John, you're very good, but some other guys are a little forceful, and my sources tell me. And when it doesn't happen, yeah, you should be called on the carpet, whether it's by fans or other media members. When you get it right, 
take a bow. When you get it wrong, take the slings and arrows. There were a bunch of media outlets that had Zach Ertz gone in this town. Are you suggesting I shouldn't point that out? No, no, not at all. And I got, uh, believe me, I got holes all over my body from taking arrows. It doesn't doesn't affect me. But what I'm saying is it it doesn't change the fact that uh, Zach thought he was gone. Zach wanted out. The Eagles were trying to move him, and they didn't move. Like, both things can be true. Like Howie stuck up and said, I want, this is a good player. I want a day two pick for him. He got offers for day three picks and he didn't pull the trigger. Zach at that point, before he got in here, before he started the relationship with Nick Sirianni, he wanted the heck out. I mean, everybody saw that final press conference when he basically said goodbye, uh, which he again admitted to. So my only point is things can change. The vast majority of that reporting, and again, you have to take the individual. Uh, I, you know, when you're saying some certain people are so forceful, I always try to couch things as correctly as possible. He did want out. The Eagles were expecting to move him. They didn't move him, and now he's back and he's developed this relationship with the head coach specifically. And, and by the way, the tight ends coach, who Nick Sirianni out of nowhere mentioned, I think this is the best tight end coach in the league, and that's Jason Michael. Uh, he used to be a coordinator with the Titans, offensive coordinator. Um, he likes the people he's working with, and all of a sudden things change. And again, both things can be true. It, it wasn't not true that Zach wanted out of here and Zach uh, and and the Eagles were looking to move Zach. And and by the way, Zach essentially confirmed that by saying, "Oh, there were apologies. <laughs> there were well, if there were apologies, that means there was something to apologize for." Right. By Except that one of the things that Zach Ertz said yesterday, which is the thing that actually annoyed me and bothered me, was. Oh, this is where I always wanted to be. This is where I wanted to retire. No, it wasn't. As you just stated. No, he always was... said that, Jody. I will depend, Zach. He said, when he was, you know, tearing up, as a matter of fact, and, and even before that, at the beginning of last season, he his first where this all kicked off, he said, I want to be here for the rest of my career. I want to retire here. I don't think that's... Uh, reciprocated essentially and um that's um, i'm paraphrasing he he said he wanted to be here he didn't think it was being reciprocated he didn't think the eagles wanted him to be here and by the way i think he's right um so he did say from the very start he wanted to be here now where where it comes off the rails at a certain point he said no i don't want to be here right i don't want to be here um once you say that you say that but he never said that publicly savvy he's savvy enough look we just went through joel Embiid yesterday i mean that's just dumb he zach is savvy enough when it comes to his brand you think about him and his wife julie you know i asked him about the inside out shorts because i wanted to clarify that he said, we're a Reebok family. That's what it was about. Julie Ertz has a, a Reebok contract. Um, he's savvy. He, 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 and he understands, you know, you got to placate the fan base as well and look at how it goes over. I mean, they buy it hook, line, and sinker. I mean, you know, God bless him. He's a great player. 
I'm happy for Zach for this reason. And Harold Carmichael is in the Hall of Fame. So uh, congratulations to Harold as well. Zach Ertz is going to be the all-time leading receiver again for the Eagles uh, from a reception standpoint. Looked like it was going to be done last year easily with a typical Zach Ertz season. We know what happened. Um, And now he's going to have an opportunity to, again, reach that sort of franchise lore, going to be in the ring of honor. This is one of the great players in this franchise's history. Well, you mentioned last year we know what happened. Well, we know what the numbers ended up being last year. Oh, by the way, we should talk about his health as well. That's kind of the question I was getting at. We don't know what happened. Maybe you can explain to me what happened because his numbers as compared to other years were down. Take away the injuries and the uh, time that he missed and the games he didn't play. How much of it was Zach was hurt, Zach dropped off, Carson was bad, Last year was not a good year for Zach Ertz. That's one of the reasons why he sat there on the bench at the end of the last season because he knew the Eagles were not likely to negotiate any long-term extension with him at the numbers that he wanted. And you can't blame the Eagles because he had a down year. Now there are a lot of contributing things to those down year, that down year. Tell us John McMullen's reasoning behind Zach Ertz not <laughs> breaking the receiving record last year when a lot of us thought he was going to do it coming into this season. Um, well, at, at the start, I think all of those things entered into it. I mean, we all know we, Carson was terrible. Uh, I think Zach was very unhappy at the beginning of the season. Um, I've talked about it a lot. It goes back to the playoff game after the 2019 season uh, where he played through a lacerated kidney, a broken rib. Um, shouldn't have played. Uh you know, I'm surprised the doctors allowed him to play, to be honest. But he went out there and he did it. Um, and then the contract came up, and, and we know how contracts work, Jody. If if you're on the final year of your deal with no guaranteed money left, generally this has happened to Brandy Graham over the years, Lane Johnson, all these, you know, franchise cornerstone players. What you generally do is guarantee the money, maybe tack on a, a year, avoidable year, all the bookkeeping tricks Howie Roseman always does. Uh, The difference is he didn't do it with Zach Ertz. So Zach is like, well, why aren't you doing this for me? And that became the angst with the contract. Um, So that started it. And, And I don't think Zach was there mentally. And I think he was very upset at the organization. Uh, then as he got later, he hurt, he hurt his ankle, which Lane Johnson mentioned a couple days ago as well. Turns out he had to have surgery. He was on either crutches, a walking cast, or a walking boot for two months in the offseason. So when everybody was talking about where are the Eagles going to trade Zach Ertz, he wasn't even healthy. He was on crutches. He was in a cast. He was in a walking boot trying to get better. Actually, he and Julie, who also got injured at the same time, were living in Jordan Hicks's house out in Arizona, uh, rehabbing together. Uh, then he finally got healthy, and, and things started to go in a more positive direction. And by the way, I give a lot of credit to that. I mentioned it a little bit. I think you got to give Nick Sirianni a ton of credit for that because I make fun of him at times, but I also give him the benefit of the doubt. 
his core values, which you know, I, I, I don't care about, but you know, number one, he always says is connecting, connecting with the players. He connected with Zach Ertz. Like I, I, I don't think Zach Ertz likes Howie Roseman. I don't think he does. Now I think they're professional, um, but I don't think he likes him. He likes Nick Sirianni. I think Nick Sirianni is a big part of why Zach Ertz is here and healthy and happy. I and, really do. So and, you got to give the head coach credit. I'm with you 100% that Sirianni should get credit for that because it is one of his core values, and he's pulling it off as a rookie coach, which isn't easy to do with some of the guys he have that are has on the team that are already established stars in the National Football League, and Zach Ertz would be one of them. Um, let me ask you this about Zach Ertz and um, saying mentally focused. If part of the reason for his lesser season last year was that he wasn't completely there mentally, that he was perturbed with the organization, ticked off, call it whatever you want. Um, I, I get that. I think that was a factor. How much of a factor? We can only guess. Zach knows better than anyone else. Yesterday sounded like all uh, rainbows and lollipops, and he was in a good mood, and he was smiling all over the place, and he did, as a Reebok family, turn his shorts around. Uh, the fact that he is connected with Nick Sirianni. Is he in the place where he can just go back to the level of Pro Bowl-type tight end that he was? Surely he's a year older now, got through the injury he had, but all these injuries take their toll. Can Zach Ertz go back to being a top two or three tight end in the NFC-type level this year, play-wise? That's a good question. I mean, I do think they want to play Dallas Goddard. A lot. I I don't think that this is um, an indication, and you bring in the trade rumor as well. I don't think that's necessarily an indication saying we're going to go with Zach. We're not going to go with Dallas. Dallas is still obviously much younger. Now, maybe his contract situation is mucking things up a little bit because he was one of the guys the Eagles have been working on an extension with. Well, it hasn't gotten done to this point. So, you know, maybe they're not happy with that aspect of it. Uh, so you have to throw that curveball in into the equation as well. But I do think they value Dallas Goddard as a player a lot. He's got a lot of potential. And then you start talking about Nick Sirianni's philosophy, which he's also honest about. He wants three receivers on the field. He's admitted that. He's admitted that on more than one occasion as his base offense. Obviously, you're going to have different – he's going to play 12. He's going to be empty set at all times. But when you do the percentages, 11 personnel is going to be number one. That's what he wants to do. That's what one of the, That's what most of the NFL wants to do. Uh, so that complicates matters. But the Eagles don't have the receivers to do that right now. I mean, you can't – Nick Sirianni wants to win football games. And look, maybe Jalen Rager turns the corner. Maybe Quez Watkins turns the corner. But I got to tell you, if I'm Nick Sirianni and I'm putting my head down on the pillow at night, I'm a lot more comfortable with Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard than Jalen Rager and Quez Watkins. So I'm going to find a way to get him on the field. Let's see what Nick does. I I agree with your read on it. Um, you can have your desires, but the players and their capabilities 
are probably going to rue the day. Uh, I think Nick Sirianni is smart enough that uh, and is paying close enough attention to his own practices and what's going down when he's got his team on the field. You can put the best uh, groupings out there that have the best chance to make plays, move the football down the field, stick it into the end zone. And if that means being in 12 more than 11, he'll be in 12 more than 11. That's my belief on Nick Sirianni. We'll see how it plays out. Question for you. The season is now over. Damn, did that go fast? I haven't even started yet. Now I got the season over. Um, and the numbers say Zach Ertz is the Eagles' leading receiver, period. Any position. He's got more catches than anybody else, including our guy, Devonta Smith, which I don't know is going to happen. I'm not, don't, this is a hypothetical for those of you watching Birds 365. This is not mm. a Jody Mack prediction. I'm setting up a hypothetical question for John. And some of these are outrageous, and some of these are, are possibilities. I do believe this is a possibility that Zach Ertz, if he stays healthy, he absolutely could lead the Eagles in receptions this year. Probably not yards, but certainly receptions. And let's say he leads the Eagles in touchdown receptions too. Eight, nine, maybe even 10. And he has this bounce back year off what he had last year, which isn't going to be all that hard. And he certainly outperforms statistically Dallas Goddard in let's say a right down the middle split of tight end snaps that the Eagles are in 12 uh, as often as they are. He's the one tight end when they're in three or four wide receiver sets. But he and Goddard end up taking the same number of snaps. And, oh, by the way, Zach Gertz puts up better numbers. How did the Eagles go forward with the tight end position? Boy, that's difficult because, you know, and this, again, is not only the Eagles. And this is, you know, where – I wish we could talk to Vinny about this as well, and we'll reschedule Vinny for later. But, you know, Zach is 30. Um, I believe his birthday is in November, so he'll be 31 during the season, 32 during next season. You know, Jody, how the, the 30 is a dirty word in this league. Uh, they don't want to pay 30. They don't want to pay over 30 players, but they do. You know, you've seen it with, and that's part of Zach's problem. You've seen it with the, in this organization. Uh, they keep giving Jason Kelsey an extra year as he continues to perform. I think it would be Brandon Graham as well. I think it would be a short-term situation like uh, they've done with Jason Kelsey and Brandon Graham and say, okay, we'll guarantee you um, 2022 at this particular number, and, you know, then we'll reassess um, in the spring uh, if we're going to go forward. If Zach is amendable to that, yeah, I think, you know, especially if he continues to have a good relationship with Nick Sirianni. And by the way, if he leads this team in receiving, he's going to have a good relationship with Nick Sirianni. So, uh I, I think as long as he's amendable to that type of format where he's, you know, another Jason Kelsey, another Brandon Graham, you, you do the year and then you revisit it. I I think, yeah, it's, there's a potential. Right. And uh, you mentioned 30 is a dirty word in the National Football League. 
kind of depends on the organization. More dirty with other organizations than some. I'll just note that Travis Kelsey is 31 years old and will turn 32 in season. And the Kansas City Chiefs don't be don't seem to be looking. Well, to there's and that's part of the problem. That's why I brought up the Eagles have those players as well. The Eagles have the the over 30 players they pay. In general, though, teams want to go and 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 build in those um, sort of safety nets with shorter term. Look, all NFL contracts are essentially even, you know, basically two years, and then you can get out if you really want to get out. Um, but they want to go really short term, and they want to go really essentially one year, revisit it, and we'll see where we are. But, yeah, everybody's got their core group they're going to pay. But once you hit 30, and Zach is a perfect example of this because Zach has performed. No, he's not Travis Kelsey, but he's right under. He's the next tier, uh, right under Kelsey and Kittle, where he had been until last year. Right. And the Eagles were already saying, ah, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's, it's a difficult league when you get older, and you have to play at the level of a Travis Kelsey to be a Travis Kelsey bottom line. Understood. I just think he's going to have a bounce back year, major bounce back year. You're not going to have a Travis Kelsey year. Never has. Mm, Yeah, probably not. (laughs) No, no one has a Travis Kelsey year in the national football league. George Kittle. Yeah. George Kittle. That's about it. Um, All right. So I'll put it to you this way. Kelsey to Kittle comparison. Kittle to uh, Zach Ertz. Bigger drop-off between one and two or bigger drop-off between two and three in the comparison? Uh, well, I think Kittle's the best tight end in football. The, you think the, he's better than Kelsey? Yeah, uh, because he can block. He's phenomenal. He's he's an all-around tight end. He's like Gronk in his prime. He's that type of tight end. Now, the problem is he's gotten injured. But if you, George Kittle at his height, I mean, woof. That that was that was a tough guy. Kelsey's phenomenal as a receiver, but he's a flex receiver. He's 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 not going to help you in the other aspects of the game. Now, if you ask me who the best receiver is, yeah, it's Jason Kelsey, uh, Travis Kelsey. Um, I I think he's at now. Remember, he's a tight end in theory. Five straight seasons. I have to look it up. Five straight seasons over a thousand yards. Travis Kelsey. I think Zach has one how, how in his does, career. How does that uh, declare him as a non-tight end? He he catches the ball too much to be considered a no, tight end? No, he is... plays – he's flexed out. I mean, when you look at how Kansas City lines up, again, you know, we talk about 11 personnel. I say all this time, 12 personnel. You're going to see week one with Kyle Pitts. He's called a tight end. People label him a tight end. Travis Kelsey's labeled a tight end, which really hurts him from a monetary standpoint. But he really plays flex receiver the vast majority of the time. So it's just a labeling system. George Kittle can line up on the edge and block defensive ends and win. And he's probably the only tight end. Maybe Gronk can still do it, but at his age, who who knows? I mean, George Kittle is – the film on that guy is just unbelievable. I mean, he's a dinosaur. He's an old-school wide tight end. That catches the football like a flex receiver. I, yeah, I think he's the best receiver. I think he's the best tight end in football. And if you go back to 2018, when he had, I think, 
you know, he had Kelsey numbers as a receiver. It wasn't even close. Last year, he he was injured. He only injured. played. So he he only didn't come played close to season, putting up Kelsey. Which numbers. that's that's part of the problem when you're that physical. Yeah, you're, it, and it happened to Gronk as well. But when you have those guys at that level, you saw it with Gronkowski. I mean, look, everybody was shooting for second place when he was on clicking on all cylinders. The split out tight ends, inline tight ends. How many feet are we talking about here? I I understand lined up butt to butt. Yes, the you're blocking. an inline tight end. It's not. It's not where they're. It's the blocking. It's what they offer the offense. It's the blocking. The old school tight ends, the Mark Bavaro types, he was always my favorite tight end. Uh, those guys don't exist anymore. Rob Gronkowski, George Kittle, that's it. The other guys can't block. And they get in the way. They they occasionally do some things. They they work. They try. They they These guys can blow people off the football. These guys can block defensive ends. If you ever get a chance to watch one of the great edge rushers, um, whoever, you know, Chandler Jones, Khalil Mack, uh, these big, Daniil Hunter, those types of players, watch when they put tight ends on them. It's embarrassing. Not, not with George Kittle, not with Gronk. That's the difference. That's the difference. Kelsey can't do that. Ertz can't do that. That's the reason why the Eagles love Dallas Goddard so much, because he's more in that frame. He's a really good blocker, and they think he's got the potential to be a really good receiver. Those guys are dinosaurs. All right, but let me ask you this. Um, on any given play, take Goddard and uh, Kittle that you'll call as uh, truly blocking tight ends. How many plays do you think a coach – would be acceptable of them going one-on-one -on -one against a defensive lineman in pass blocking? A handful of times a game, not often, but it's it's really nice to be comfortable enough to do that, especially on the backside. If you're running a play to the other side, it's really, really nice. It's a, it's a luxury, let's just put it that way. But it's more about the running game more than anything else because if you got a tight end that can seal the edge, you're 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 ahead of the game. You see all these manipulations. Sean McVay is probably the best at this with motion, and you bring receivers and running backs, and you have uh, uh, you know coming across the formation. You want the wham block. You want all this trickery just to get one guy blocked. When you can say, "Okay, just go block that guy," that makes things a lot easier. Uh, for for a play caller, for an offensive game planner, uh, that I don't have to worry about all the eyewash, risking, does everybody on the same page, are we going to get pre-snap penalty, pre-snap motion, just to do the simplest thing that you can line up Dallas Goddard, George Kittle, player like that, and say, just go block the guy. Understood, but maybe – Maybe I'm more like an uh, an offensive uh, head coach and a coach who's going to worry more about uh, what is your production on the play at the end of the day, not uh, breaking down the game film and giving someone a grade for the kind of block that they threw. Give me the tight end that gets yardage and touchdowns. 
Uh, I'm probably well, well, but, but I'm 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 the reason the reason I get to eat nine with the Philadelphia Eagles that uh, and obviously you've gotten to the same point. Now I don't know how you got there, but I got there because they can block people and they can rush the passer. That's why I get there. When you can when you can't block people, you can't do anything offensively. Period. I mean, if you have a bad offensive line, if you have a, a bad pass protection from the running backs and when they're picking up blitzes, if you got a tight end who can't block, you got to figure out a way how to block people before you can do any of that other stuff. Any of that other stuff, you got to figure out how to get people blocked. So Dude. I think that's the most important. And Howie Roseman said that again, Jody. We built up front both sides of the football. And by the way, they're right. The Eagles are right. That's how you have to build. Then you fill in the rest of the stuff. And when you get the rest of the stuff with the ability to block, then you turn into the, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Here's why I, where I agree with you but disagree with you over two different points. Number one, I agree with you. Yeah, that's part of the reason why I got the Eagles at almost a 500 team coming off a 4-11-1 season. They got healthy on the offensive line. Lane Johnson is back. Brandon Brooks is back. Jordan Mylia will be better. Uh, Kelsey's still Kelsey. Isaac Samuel is a damn good guard. Yes, that's the reason why I think the Eagles have a chance to be better. But that is also the reason why I'll take Zach Ertz over Dallas Goddard. I got five good offensive linemen. I don't need to have the tight end doubling down on the pass-rushing defensive end because I'm going to have faith that my Lotta and or Lane Johnson is going to be able to get the job done one-on-one. That's why, as me as a head coach, if I had the choice, I got a good combo guy. I got a guy who can help in the running game. Blocking uh, is a uh, guy who, whether he's tight to the line and or split out, you're bringing him back for the wham back, is going to be able to make a good block. I, I understand the importance of that and what it could add to your offense. But measure that against a guy who actually does get downfield – does catch the ball, does get touchdowns, yeah, I'm going to lean toward I'll take a chance with a little less blocking and stand behind my offensive line of five guys and expect them to do the job one-on-one against all the guys they're matching up against and give me that extra added weapon down the field. Well, I I mean, it depends what you – but you're acting like George Kittle and Dallas Goddard aren't weapons. That's the beauty of them. They are weapons. I mean, the Eagles will tell you – and one of the reasons they love Dallas Goddard, he's more athletic than Zach Ertz. He's got one of their disappointments is they haven't been able to flex him out as much as they would have liked to because they need him as a blocker so much. And it probably more so last year because of all the injuries, they needed him to help out uh, more of the inline type of stuff. You're right. If, it, if the offensive line is doing a better job, you have more uh, opportunity. My point is, but if you have both, and again, I go back to Rob Gronkowski being the most notable example of this. If you have both, it's better. Kittle's both. Gronkowski's both. The Eagles think Dallas Goddard can be both. It's got to be better. Well, he's better than Ertz, but I don't think he's going to put the numbers up. I don't think he's going to produce the way that Ertz is going to produce. Well, until he does it, it's hard to project it. But those guys have done it. The Kittles of the world and the Gronks of the world, they've done it. You've seen it. Those are the best tight I mean, Gronk's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Kittle's way too early in his career. 
Right. Uh, it, that's it, that's the best tight end of a generation. And number two ain't close. I'm talking about Gronk. Last uh, point on this, and we got to take a timeout uh, to get to our number two. If you're a general manager, free agent, both are available this offseason, one-year deal, not multi-year, not spread the money out, one year on the cap, same exact price tag, whatever it is, 10 million, 12 million, 14 million, you had to pay for it just for this one season. Who are you signing, Kelsey or Kittle? Um, for one season, uh, do I have Patrick Mahomes or do I have Jimmy Garoppolo? Doesn't matter. Then I'm, uh, it matters to me if well, I have. In, 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 you no, know, you get what I mean. Not because Kelsey has a relationship with Mahomes, I would say no. No, here's who you have. You have no, Aaron Rodgers. No, not the relationship. Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback, and you get to choose no, between I'm Kittle and George, Kelsey. If, uh, health is the biggest thing. But, but if George Kittle's healthy, he's the best tight end in football. I'm taking George Kittle. I take George Kittle with Patrick Mahomes. I'm saying I take Travis Kelsey with Patrick Mahomes over George Kittle with Jimmy Garoppolo. That's what I was saying. Right. If, if if it's in the vacuum, each is playing with the same quarterback, same system. Yeah, it's George Aaron Kittle. Rodgers. It's not not a yeah. quarterback that either one of them know. You're the Packers. You got a chance to sign if, either of if, those two guys. Which one you sign in? If healthy, George Kittle is the best tight end in football. Right. I'm going to take Travis Kelsey for one year. I'm going to try. I got a guy who can uh, throw the football like Aaron Rodgers. Oh yeah, give me another weapon. Give me, give me. Give me the best receiving tight end in football. Everybody loves numbers and stats. Oh, yeah. I want the best football player. I want the best football player. George Kittle is the best tight end in football is as his contract <laughs> tells you. When everybody that's the standard. That's now the standard because everybody knows in this league who the best tight end is. And it right now it's George Kittle. And Kelsey isn't a bad blocker. He's just not no, he's, Kittle. He's He's a very good player, and that people are going to take this. No, I think Johnny Mac froze up on us. All right, we'll uh, get that uh, settled and worked out. Uh, we'll take a quick timeout to start hour number two here on Birds 365. As a hardworking American, you've never experienced how tough life can be until now. A catastrophic injury while working on the job. A personal injury from someone else's negligence, turned away by other law firms in the region who didn't bother to learn your story. It's time to meet the Fritz and Beyond Cooley Law Yo, Firm number two and is managing pretty good. partner Brian Fritz. Badly injured? Call the Fritz and Beyond Cooley Law Firm. Find out why they say, we got this. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. 
I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Mega Mac guys here on Bird 365. We'll stick around for another uh, hour. We're going to get our buddy uh, Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com, to join us. Uh, apparently, the mishap with Vinny was I asked him to come on the show a couple days ago. And he said, yeah, he could do it. And in the text that I sent to him, I said, "At in our 820A spot. And then when I sent him the reminder text last night, I just said the 820 spot. And Vinny has been on my CBS show a bunch of times and on CBS I'm on on Sunday nights, 8.20 p.m. So Vinny thought this was a p.m. spot we were doing. He didn't know. He didn't come. He didn't go back to the first text I sent him, which said a.m. So he's at the dentist today getting his teeth fixed. So uh, unfortunately, a crossing of the wires on scheduling Vinny. We'll try and get him back up uh, sometime next week. Uh, we hope Jeff Kerr. Uh, are we sure Jeff Kerr is going to join us? I think he knows what time Birds 365 is on. Since he should know. He filled in for you enough yeah. when you were off know. the practice every single day. So we have, I would set my confidence a meter at 99.9% that Jeff Kerr is going to be ready. There are always technical difficulties. Yeah. You, you just throw it up on that on Ida. I'm going to blame, I don't know what went on there. It kind of froze up, but we uh, got it worked out during the break. Uh, so we got an hour left to play, and yeah, Jeff Kerr's going to join us in about 15 minutes. All right, the other guy I wanted to talk about, and we did talk a lot about Zach Kerr here today, um, Gardner Minshew. Gardner. A couple of days before uh, you guys were uh, introduced to the Eagles' new QB3, and he came off as a guy who's okay with being the QB3. Yeah, Said all we'll the right see. things. Handled we'll himself see. well, smile on the face, not going to rock the boat. I'm just here to uh, learn the system and do anything I can to help this team. Uh, either he was well-schooled or a guy who can uh, well, manage Well, it took 48 well. hours to school him, so he's probably well-schooled. But uh, before I want to get into Gardner Minshew, I do want to say the biggest news from Gardner talking was we finally – have confirmation, Jody. Nick Sirianni won. He won a horse game against Gardner Minshew. So we finally have confirmation of Nick Sirianni winning something. He That's lost big. rock, paper, scissors to everybody, Landon Dickerson most notably. He lost uh, the three-point shooting contest to Greg Ward. Tried to pay, play ping pong against Jake Elliott. That did not go well. Horse, 
He managed to beat Gardner Minshew. Big news. That's the biggest news. And that that moves him up 1% in my eye as a head coach in the National Football League because he got a W. But, um, yeah, Gardner available to all you guys yesterday. Uh, Hey, I'm a guy, You both you and I, we've been saying the last 48 hours, be careful for what you wish. You added a quality player and you upgraded the uh, level of the room, but could you be rocking the boat a little bit? And I pointed out that the Jaguars so worried about it that they traded him for a six-round pick. I'm sorry. Keeping Gardner Minshew would have made the Jaguars a better team. And unlike Jeff Lurie, I don't think they're worried about uh, being perceived as a team going backwards. They're 1-15. They want to get better. They hired Urban Meyer to get better immediately. And Gardner Minshew, if uh, the quarterback goes down with an injury week number two, Gardner Minshew would have given him a bad chance to do so. They didn't even want to go there. They were yeah. ready to go with C.J. Beathard and said, let's get our sixth-round pick and get out. Um, so I got to believe, at least in part, that Gardner might have rocked the boat a little bit. He didn't rock the boat at all yesterday, John. No, uh, but I think they had the luxury of, of sort of an obvious time issue. I mean, they traded for him two weeks before the start of the regular season, so you have the built-in excuse He's got to come in. He's got to learn the system, got to learn his teammates, got to learn the coaching staff. So that takes care of early in the season. He's got to ramp up. Um, now, once the Eagles made the trade, I went back and I, I looked into some of the things that were going on in Jacksonville. I got to tell you, uh, one that stuck out to me, Urban Meyer, as you mentioned, called this guy a competitive maniac. Um that was his phrase. Now, you would think Nick Sirianni would like that. I yeah. mean, all he does is preach competition. Then I went back to his interview with our old friend Chris Long, who's got his own podcast. Now, that was hilarious because, you know, Gardner got to be himself with an ex-NFL player. The personality came out. You know, by the way, the personality came out a little bit, and you saw it peak out, but he was obviously well coached. Now, Chris asked him about – uh, the competition he was about to embark on, which you and I know, Jody, we had the same chance of being the starting quarterback in Jacksonville as Gardner Minshew. There was no competition outside of injury. If Trevor Lawrence doesn't get hurt, he's going to be the starting quarterback. We all know that. There's no competition. Not in Gardner's mind. So Chris Long went to him and said, you know, what are you doing to prepare for this competition? I would have laughed asking that question. Uh, Gardner took it obviously serious. And he said he hasn't taken a shit since it started because he doesn't believe in number two. Right. No, well, number two Gardner unacceptable. Yeah, number two I, I, is I told under- that story a couple yeah. times here since Gardner has been yeah. uh, acquired by the So, Eagles. yeah, you got it exactly right. I was paraphrasing. So, number two is not acceptable. Um. Number three is acceptable? Come on. By the way, what is number three when it comes to movement? Well, I'm both. Not sure. When you got to go, take a you-know-what. Okay. You also take a – that you add two and one. But One plus two is three. Yeah. Okay, got you. But if two is not acceptable, I'm pretty sure three is not going to be acceptable. And we got, a, we got a situation – if you remember last year during training camp, the truncated as it was uh, – you know, Carson Wentz was the starter, obviously, but Nate Sudfeld was the backup. A lot of people forget that. 
Now Nate's the backup. Nate's the backup. Nate's the backup. Regular season comes here. No, Jalen Hurts is the backup. Um, I think you're going to see a similar situation. They're going to say Joe's the backup. Joe's the backup. Then one day we're going to show up and Gardner's going to be the backup. uh, And Gardner's going to be the backup on game day. And then you're a step away. Now, what can that step be? Most obvious would be injury. Other, as with Carson Wentz last year, ineffectiveness. This guy's not happy being a number three quarterback. He didn't come here to be a number three quarterback. Oh, by the way, I I, I do think his value is a little bit overstated because of his statistics. I don't think this is a high-level prospect by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, when you're talking – when you're gauging him against a player like Trevor Lawrence, for instance. Um, But I think that same way of Jalen Hurts. So I think in a lot of ways they're on the same platform. So who's better? It's not about who's, who's got the potential to be Trevor Lawrence, neither. It's about who's got the potential to be better between those two players. All right. You can either look this up or you can remember it off the top of your head. Um, last year, since you brought up the comparison of the Philadelphia Eagles 2020 to 2021, how many weeks last year were all three quarterbacks dressed? Was it every single week? No. Was it most no, weeks? No. Uh, most would remember they started with that goofy bring Jalen Hurts on the field right away for a couple plays. So right. Jalen was the backup from week one. I don't. I don't remember. I'd have to certainly not all the games. I I don't think Nate dressed for the majority of games, to be honest. Uh, But I'd have to double check that. But he was not the back. By week one, the Eagles were already into their Jalen Hurts package of plays, which turned out to be one or two plays each week. So so in that way, it is different. How do you think the first – and I'm not holding your feet to the fire that this is the week that Gardner Minshew becomes the official number two over the fact that he's number three now. Just do you think they're going to start week one with all no, three guys not, being No, it's, it's not the same because, A, Joe's better than Nate Sudfeld, um, number one. Um, certainly more accomplished. Uh, he's just a better player. So that's not the same. Gardner's also just got here. Um, so early in the season, um, I don't think there's a need. I, I think you could use that as the, the crutch, the excuse. Ultimately, if anybody other than Jalen Hurts has to play because of injury or ineffectiveness, if it's going to be game day, if he sprains his ankle in Atlanta, it's going to be Joe Flacco. Joe's going to be the guy early in the season. If he's out for eight weeks with an MCL sprain, I think at that point they're going to gear things towards let's get Gardner ready as quickly as possible. Now, when they feel that is, it's not going to be week one, week two, week three, somewhere before the the, the second half of the season, I would say. So, But will there be a week that all three quarterbacks will be dressed? Probably to satiate them, uh, you know, um, they all have egos. Uh, they've all been starters, um, Joe, for a very long time. Um, Gardner, 
We just talked about him being a competitive maniac. And really, you know, you get to dress 40, what is it, 47 now, but one of them, 48, but one of them's got to be the extra offensive lineman. Um, if you look at the snap counts each week, look, those bottom five guys don't play a lot. So I think you can manipulate it to where you make all three happy at some point, but it's not a good situation. The back. Oh, did John uh, freeze up again? I guess they did get hit hard over there in his neck of the woods by Ida. All right. We'll take a quick time out. That's okay. Cause we were scheduled to be joined by Jeff Kerr. Anyway, our buddy Jeff Kerr, part-time host from for us from CBSSports.com, going to join us next as a guest I'm here back, on Bird right 365. <laughs> as a hardworking American, you've never experienced how tough life can be until now. A catastrophic injury while working on the job. A personal injury from someone else's negligence. Turned away by other law firms in the region who didn't bother to learn your story. It's time to meet the Fritz and Beyond Cooley Law Firm and managing partner Brian Fritz. Badly injured? Call the Fritz and Beyond Cooley Law Firm. Find out why they say, we got this. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. It is Birds 365. We've had this uh, duo up before as. Uh, co-hosts we planned on punching him up as a guest and i guess he is still a guest it's just 
my co-host, has disappeared. Johnny Mack has had some technical issues today here on Birch 365. Don't know if it was weather-related or not, but I'm okay to go with Jeff Kerr for the next however many minutes until Johnny Mack jumps back on from CBSSports.com. JK, how are you doing? Uh, pretty good, Jody. It's been a crazy week around the NFL, as you certainly know. Um, it's been – I mean, I didn't even – really get to keep track of a bunch of the Eagles cuts. Like I knew they cut Travis Fogelman and a couple other guys, but I kept hearing, Hey, did your Ty Johnson got cut? Did your Kiki Kuti got cut all these receivers? And you know, you're trying to put everything around. And I had to track all, I think it was like a total of 600 cuts around the NFL on Tuesday. It's pretty insane. There were a ton of cuts and 27 guys who were claimed off waivers. You mentioned the former Charger receiver who was grabbed by Jacksonville, uh, probably with the first overall waiver claim. The Eagles ended up not claiming a wide receiver. We speculated yesterday if they were going to make a claim, that position seemed to jump out more than any others with the availability of the guys who are out there on the wire. Surprised that the Eagles didn't get a wide receiver as far as a claim goes? I mean... Here's the thing, Jody. We don't know if they actually put in a claim for Ty Johnson because he went to uh, Jacksonville, obviously. In Jacksonville, they could have claimed 53 guys if they wanted to. That's just how waivers work. But, yeah, I was kind of surprised. I thought maybe Colin Johnson, because of Dave Caldwell picked him, and you know he kind of had a strong finish for them last year, had the repetitions with Gardner Minshew. Maybe that would be something. But overall, there just wasn't that much available outside of Ty Johnson, at least in my opinion. They did get Keyshawn Johnson from the Arizona Cardinals, and Cliff Kingsbury spoke very highly of him when he cut him. He said, you know, it was just tough to cut him, but overall, just the Cardinals are really deep at wide receivers. So the Eagles were able to get him, but I was kind of shocked. I thought maybe they put in a claim for one of those two players earlier. Uh, and uh, they did bring back two guys to their practice squad at the receiver position, both uh, Fulgham and Hightower guys who were here last year, and we all know Travis Fulgham's story. He had a group of games that he was one of the better wide receivers in the league, not just the best wide receiver on the Eagles. He matched up with any other wide receiver in the league. But prior to that, he hadn't done much. After that, he didn't done much with a lot of speculation as to why that was the case. His explanation was, well, they didn't put them put him out there. Put they didn't give enough uh, reps in the offense. They didn't call his number often enough uh, without Sean Jeffrey being activated. Well, okay, maybe, but maybe you didn't get open enough. Maybe you didn't show it in practice enough. There seemed to be enough of a debate and maybe even a a, a disconnect that I wasn't sure Travis Fulgham was going to come back. When no one claimed Travis Fulgham, which I saw national speculation yesterday that he was the guy who absolutely could get picked off the waiver wire, he didn't. The Eagles decided to bring him back. Do you think that Travis Fulgham is going to uh, get elevated and make a contribution on this team this year? I think he could. Uh, I think right now, I think he needs to get his game straight. Uh, it seemed like his excuse was, as you pointed out, Jody, the whole Alshon Jeffrey thing. Well, they just didn't play me. They played Alshon over me. Well, no, you had a game where you played like 95% of the snaps and you had one catch for eight yards, and then they went to Alshon Jeffrey, and he had like seven catches for 110 yards or around that number the last seven, eight games of the season, and that's just not good. That's J.J. Ortega-Whiteside territory, and <laughs> ultimately it came down to special teams, and Ortega-Whiteside probably earned his job over that and the fact that he had a really good last preseason game, and Fulgham did it, but he just struggled, and it continued on throughout training camp this year. It's 
you know, Johnny Mack obviously pointed out, you know, he was getting he was barely getting any reps. He was with the second team at some point. So I'm like, I wonder if this guy's going to get claimed by anybody. And he obviously didn't. And when I was talking to just a couple of people around the league, they were like, okay, you know, everybody thinks it was more of a five game fluke or, you know, they were, someone actually pointed out to me, they were trailing a lot of those games. Remember that? And they were just kind of trying to stay in the game. And that's when he was making a lot of his catches. So I'm like, okay, so what's the deal here? Like, is this guy good? Is this guy bad? And I'm just thinking to myself, well, I think the Eagles are kind of lucky they were able to get him back. Um, I don't know if he'll actually be promoted to the 53 like in the next couple of days. I mean, we'll see. But overall, I do expect him back on this roster this year at some point. I don't know how much he's going to contribute, though. You referenced J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who certainly made the team. Um, we know he was a second-round draft pick. You mentioned that he had that good final exhibition game, but John's reports from practice all year long, inconsistent certainly would be a way to describe him again. Then again, the only guy who was consistent practicing all the time seemed to be Quez Watkins. So you could put all that, all the wide receivers into that same category, but I say Whiteside gets a spot on the roster while Hightower and Fogum have to go practice squad. How much faith do you have that we actually see an improvement in J.J. Arcega Whiteside this year? If there is an improvement, I'm going to give full credit to Nick Sirianni, Aaron Moorhead, Shane Steichen, and those guys, and heck, even Jalen Hurts, because Eagles have gotten practically nothing out of this guy. And I know everybody likes to point out DK Metcalf. Well, other teams passed on DK Metcalf, too. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts with Paris Campbell, the Arizona Cardinals with Andy Isabella, who, again, Steve Kimes swallowed his pride a little bit. I know Isabella was on the COVID list, but he was a second-round pick, and he kept him over probably a guy like Keyshawn Johnson, who – you could argue should have been on the Cardinals over Andy Isabella just based on his skill set, but they like what they saw out of Isabella his second year or, or his first year in the league and the averaging over 20 yards per catch. And they decided to hold tight, so, you know, keep faith in him. And I think that's what the Eagles are looking at right now. I, I think the maturation process for a wide receiver do, does take longer in the NFL. It's kind of like a defensive end, you know, he could break out this year. I don't think that's going to be the case. But overall, I think what J.J. Ortega-Whiteside just needs to do, at least in my eyes, to be a guy who can contribute to his football team, catch the football in the red zone. Like, find a way to get open two or three times a game and make your mark. I'm not asking this guy to be a superstar anymore. I'm just asking him to be competent, you know, just be a factor, which he clearly hasn't been. I don't think he's done anything, really, since the Carson since Carson Wentz's first uh, – when he beat the Cowboys in Week 16. Uh, that first catch he made to kind of get that upset going, the first play of the game. That's the only time I think he's done something of relevance for this football team. He can find a way to just help this team or step up when one of these guys get hurt because it's the NFL. Be it, you know, everybody's going to get hurt. So I'm looking at it as, look, just do your job. But overall, they, they need help at that wide receiver position badly. And they only ended up keeping five, which did surprise me a little bit. And the only thing that surprised me even more was that they kept only three running backs because Nick Sirianni did during the preseason mention that they're going to be a team that attacks with running back by committee, that it's not going to be a bell cow back system where one guy is the lead guy and everyone else is just sprinkled in. He wants to get production out of all of his running backs. Well, that shouldn't be that hard because he's only got three. Most teams keep a minimum of four. Some even will go as far as five if they got a fullback. Um, but that's not part of the Eagles' uh, concepts. Three running backs. We know Miles Sanders is the lead dog. How is Sirianni going to make this work? 
if you get them out into the flat and you throw them the football and they're part of the pass game, that's good. But you're also putting them as much at risk, risk doing that as running them between the tackles. How are the Eagles going to get through with only three running backs? Well, this is what I'm curious, Jody. Maybe McMullen pointed this out earlier, but did, have they put Tyree Jackson officially on the IR yet? I don't believe so. Well, maybe it's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen, but it just, they, they've got, they don't need to do it until uh, whatever day, Tuesday, whenever the day is that they decide, all right, we need to have all of our practice guy, uh, guys in place. Um, it's going to happen. There's no way he's going to be active. Uh, it doesn't make sense to have a guy on the 53, even if he's just inactive. We, we know it's going to happen. The only question is, how long is Jackson going to be out? That's what I'm curious about. See, when they do eventually pull him on IR, I wonder if that clears the spot up for Jordan Howard to come back. And then they have their four running backs. Because I, I thought it was big he was able to come back to the practice squad. I mean, he could have went wherever he wanted. But really, who wants him at this point? It just seems like the only team that is interested in him is the Eagles. And I'm beginning to wonder, okay, so will that fourth, will that extra roster spot go to a running back? Or maybe they acquire a wide receiver in the next couple of days? But overall, yeah, I kind of – I like the three they got, obviously. I think Scott's going to contribute this year. Kenny Gainwell, I, I think that this was a sign that Kenny Gainwell's going to have a much bigger role. He was great in that last preseason game. And Scott was to an extent. It, it's kind of crazy to think that Miles Sanders may be the worst pass-catching back out of the three of them. And he's – He's honestly a really good catcher when he catches the football. So, you know, yards after the catch are going to be big for this offense. I think they're going to really rely on those three to kind of get the passing game going. If Jalen Hurts can connect on those swing passes and, you know, kind of get – I think we're going to see a lot of screens kind of Andy Reid-esque this year. So I'm really curious to see how they use all three and how they balance their snaps. But I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Howard or Jason Huntley or someone like that got elevated over the next couple of days. Running back is definitely a possibility. Wide receiver also. Uh, and I think, can you go with just five cornerbacks if you're facing off against the team that's going to be in four wide receiver sets plenty? And, oh, by the way, uh, some people would believe with uh, their new tight end, it's going to be five wide receiver sets. They could be four wide receivers. And Pitts, who split out, they're not going to have them in line blocking. So I would think that you need as many DBs as you can get your hands on. If you're asking me what position do you think is going to grab Tyree Jackson's spot when he uh, moves to IR, I, I think somewhere in the defensive backfield might even grab a precedent just for week number one against Atlanta than either the extra running back or the wide receiver. Yeah, that is an excellent point. Uh, just because Kyle Pitts, uh, I think they recorded he has the biggest wing, wingspan of any receiver in NFL history, and he's a tight end. So, uh, yeah, that, that's going to be really scary to see how they defend uh, Calvin Ridley, a Russell Gage, uh, a Kyle Pitts. It's Yeah, it's going to be tough to go with five cornerbacks. You're going to have to get a hybrid guy in there somewhere. Maybe that's why they kept as many linebackers as they did, or they're trying to dangle one around so they could trade for a defensive back. It, that's what's going to be interesting – for me, um, I, I just don't know outside of – and, again, I like their top four. I just worry about, like, a Josiah Scott or maybe they bring back Craig James from the practice squad, elevate him. That was a surprise cut to me, Jody. That, right. that, was, that was the one where I was like, okay, like, what are they doing here? I, I, I know he was injured a, a little bit in camp, but I kind of figured he was going to stick around. So did I. Uh, John and I discussed that at length, that, and I think John said in his – 
pick the 53-man roster uh, competition that he's in uh, versus other Eagle beat writers that that was one that he did get wrong because he thought Craig James was going to make it. All right, I uh, do want to get your take on the Eagles QB3. John and I were discussing him before we punched you up. Um, I'll give uh, Gardner Minshew credit. I guess I'd give the Eagles some credit too because – they waited a couple of days before they made him available and probably schooled him pretty well on what the Philadelphia media was going to ask. And he gave all the right answers. He checked all the right boxes. Both John and I had a little concern that he's a competitive guy who's going to come in here and rock the boat a little bit. Didn't sound like that yesterday. Were you buying what Gardner was selling, that he's just happy to be in Philadelphia, will do whatever it takes to have this team win, and if he's the QB three, he'll he'll learn to deal with it. Right now, he may be saying that because he still has to learn the offense and learn the system. But I do think he really did want to be here. It seemed like from a couple of reports I saw, he kind of wanted to get out of Jacksonville since really May or June, which kind of makes sense. Trevor Lawrence was a starter, and Jacksonville continued that charade. More Urban Meyer continued that charade. Oh, you know, Trevor Lawrence is in a competition for the starting quarterback job, which we all knew that wasn't true. I think that was just a way of trying to upguard Minshew's value in training camp in the preseason so they could deal him for what they dealt him for. And they still – I mean, Jacksonville did win that trade in a sense. Not with the Eagles, but overall, you acquired a – you acquire a six-round pick for a guy you drafted in the sixth round, a quarterback nonetheless. So I thought that was pretty impressive in and of itself. But overall, I think Gardner Minshew is eventually going to be the number two quarterback of this football team. And if Jalen Hurts struggles, he's going to be there waiting for his opportunity to prove he should be a starter in this league again. And I think that's what this year is about for Gardner Minshew. It's kind of showcasing the teams, maybe the Eagles even as one of them. Hey, I could be a starting quarterback in this league. Look, I'm better than Daniel Jones. And, the numbers say it. He is better than Daniel Jones at this point. And Daniel Jones is starting quarterback, and I'm not. And I think he's going to have that swagger. It's, again, uh, a couple. there were a couple of stories of East Carolina. Uh, I forget the guys. Oh, Philip Nelson. He was competing with to be the starting quarterback there. And, you know, he had a riff with the coaches because he was better than Philip Nelson. And, you know, they were kind of rotating that at that point. I don't think it'll, it'll ever be like that. I just think that's a kid, you know, trying to compete for playing time. But overall here, I think he's just going to try to learn the offense for the first couple of weeks build his stock up, and then if Jalen Hurts you know, gets injured or struggles, I don't think he's going to struggle, but if he gets injured, Garner Minshew is going to be ready to pounce. If you are Nick Sirianni, and at some point you need to make a call about who gives us the best chance to win on any given week when Jalen Hurts goes down with an injury, you're judging purely on practice, and that's a tough go. Uh, the joint practices against other teams – Good way to judge. The exhibition games, I think, a good way to judge, although it was diminished this year by being cut to only three, and the way that it was handled by a lot of National Football League teams and coaches seemed to be less valued and evaluative than it's ever been before. Behind all of those is trying to judge in practice who's the better player. And Joe Flacco and Gardner Minshew have now had a handful of practices together at best which you're trying to be able to pick who's the better of the two. I think it's pretty difficult to do. Flacco actually did play real well in that final preseason game against his other former team. Everyone thinks of him as a Raven, but he was a Jet for one year, uh, and he did uh, play well and looks like he could be a good backup quarterback. How difficult is it going to be on Sirianni when he makes that decision on whatever week it is? Could be week three, 
could be week five. At some point, he's got to say, well, we haven't activated Gardner yet. We've been hiding behind the pretense of he's still learning the offense. If he hasn't been activated by like week seven, the question is going to start to pop up. How dumb is Gardner that he can't pick up your system? You still haven't activated him for a game yet. Uh, when is that going to happen, if you believe it is, that he's going to jump to number two on the depth chart? I think it's going to be sooner rather than later, Jody. And you're right. If it is going to be by week seven, yeah, the questions are going to come out. Like, is this guy smart? You know, maybe you know the NFL knows something about this guy that we didn't until the Eagles acquired him. But I think it's going to be – I will say maybe as soon as the first home game because he's going to have this week, next week, the following week, that that's three weeks there. That's more than enough time to, to learn that playbook. He's probably studying that playbook right now as we speak or, you know, getting the basis of this offense. Now, I don't think he'll be a number two quarterback the first week of the year, maybe the second week for the home opener. But I don't know. It's, it's going to be difficult for him to kind of unseat Flacco this early in the process. So I will go like a week three, week four, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was a week two. All right, uh, we've been spending a lot of time talking about who's quarterback two and who's quarterback three. How about quarterback one? Uh, Jalen Hurts finally named as the starting quarterback of the Eagles. And that's another pet peeve. I didn't say this with you. I said it with John the other day. I'm a little ticked off at Nick Sirianni. Oh, I'll get over it. But uh, you guys should have known he was the number one because he took all the reps. You were asked almost on a daily basis. And you kept saying that, well, we don't need to name a starter just yet. So his backhanded, well, you guys should have known comment did annoy me a little bit, but I digress. Uh, Jalen Hurts is going to be the star. We knew he was going to be the starter. The question is, did he get enough practice time in games? We saw the joint practices, but we know he only took 10 snaps in the three preseason games. Do you have concerns that week number one, he might not be as up to speed as he needs to be to win a National Football League game on the road? You know, Joey, I'm going to add to your pet peeve here. We did a story on CBS on Seriani naming Hurts the starter, and I said, is this necessary right now? Like, he took every snap with the first team. This was obvious. Like, why are we wasting internet space on this? But I digress. So, yeah, I am a little concerned about more of a slow start than anything else. Like, I think – I hope it just doesn't take him a half. You know, he goes like four for 12 in the first half or like 50 yards and – barely makes any plays, and the Eagles are trailed by 14 at halftime because he did not play in the preseason. And Sirianni can say all he wants about those practices, and and I agree. They do play first team versus first team in their practices, which is a little different than how Doug did it. But overall, I'm concerned about lack of live game reps. And I think it was Tony Tony Romo. Yeah, Tony Romo actually said, said this yesterday. He wanted two series in the preseason. This is all he asked for, just to get the feel. One series at home and one series on the road. Because he said that kind of gets the juice going for the regular season. And Jalen Hurts didn't get any on the road. And he barely played at home. So he did get his one series at home. But he he hasn't – he started road games in the NFL. But this is a completely different animal. You know, we didn't know Carson Wentz was coming back. He was more of a week-to-week type of thing at the end of the year. Now he's a full-time starting quarterback. And there's a guy lurking over his shoulder in Gardner Minshew as much as – you know, we want to deny it. It's he's going to be there. Same with Joe Flacco. And if he struggles, I, I know how it's going to be. It's, you know, I'm watching old Eagles games from the Ray Rhodes era. And it's the same thing with Rodney Pete. He was never like the starter starter. And it's like, okay, so when's this guy going to get benched? Because he keeps playing it. That's what I don't want to see 
out Jalen Hurts because the coach didn't want to play him that much in the preseason. Patrick Mahomes played a lot in the preseason. Ben Roethlisberger did. Um, a lot of the veteran coaches decided to play their guys while the younger coaches did not. And I, I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see how that ends up in the regular season. But, yeah, I mean, that should be a storyline going into week one. It's did this did this quarterback, did this first-team offense play enough in the preseason to knock it out to a slow start? Because this is a beatable team in Atlanta. I'm not sure if I'm impressed or perplexed by the fact that you always tell me, went back and watching YouTube, the Ray Rhodes era. <laughs> you're always checking in with the history of the Eagles. I don't know what to make of that car, but that's okay. I watch uh, a lot of Buddy Ryan games, too. Yeah, I'm just on Ray Rhodes right now. I'm on that. Okay. Uh, he loves his history of the Philadelphia Eagles, does Jeff Carr. All right. Uh, we didn't have the on since the Eagles did cut down their roster and a couple of things Jay Mack and I have chopped up and, and discussed. Little surprises in the decisions that the Eagles made. Seven linebackers. Seven. Uh, this is not your old Jim Schwartz defense that they actually are expecting the linebackers to contribute and make plays. And yes, we believe Singleton is going to be the number one guy overall, but they do have depth at that position. What did you read into the linebacker number being as deep as seven that the Eagles committed to on their 53? I think the Eagles looked at it as we got seven guys we really don't want to cut. And this is a deep position. And dare I say it, good. Like Eric Wilson is going to be a good starter for this team. Alex Singleton, we know what he can do. The guy just made plays all, all last year and all preseason. I don't expect that to drop. Um, I did not want them cutting Sean Bradley, and I'm glad that they kept him around. I feel he's going to be a valuable special teams asset for this unit. Uh, Davion Taylor, he might go on IR, so it might go down to right. six. But overall, like he had a good training camp where he got hurt. This is a line. TJ Edwards is another good player. I really like the state of the linebacker position for the Eagles. I mean, it must have been tough for them because I don't know what uh, McMullen saw, but from what I was hearing, Jacoby Stevens had a pretty decent camp too. And Warren, they're just really deep at linebacker. And who would have thought that? And, you know, you're obviously using Jannard Avery at that Sam position. I think Ryan Kerrigan's going to play a little bit there too. So they're, they're going to have pass rushers. And uh, I'll tell you what, Jody, just from the linebacking position being better, I can't believe I saw this on uh, Caesars William Hill Sportsbook. For the Eagles to lead the NFL in sacks, it's plus 3,000. I'm taking that bet because I think they can seriously do that. Their pass rush is better than last year, and they were third in the NFL in sacks, and they were fifth in pressures. So I'm looking at it as, okay, you know, this is a pretty good best bet right now. You know, you put a couple bucks on it, and they seriously can do that. And I, I just like the way this defense is going. I, I, I think Jonathan Gannon really – Honestly, if he had a poker hand, we, we wouldn't know what it was. Like, he probably would have won with a pair of threes at this point. 30 to 1 is a damn good play. If you're uh, accurate on those odds, I would uh, maybe ask you to uh, slice off a little piece for your buddy, Jody Mack here. I, I'd go in on you. I'd go in with you on that one. Because, yeah, I think they will get after the quarterback, uh, certainly with the new defense coordinator whose philosophy of hits does include getting turnovers, which we all know you can't handicap. But one of the ways you can do that is, yeah, but getting to a quarterback and making him cough up the football. I'm not even talking strip. I'm talking shot on or tip and the like. I think they will be aggressive at uh, trying to get to the quarterback this year. So I like your line of thinking. How are they going to get out? Well, we know uh, outside rush pressure up the middle with their good DTs. Williams is going to get a shot somewhere, either inside or outside, as a rookie contributing. What do you think that he's got up his sleeve, the defensive coordinator, because he has said on several occasions 
deception is the key to life. And he's going to try and deceive other teams, not see it coming when he throws certain things at him. Eh, project for us a little bit here, buddy. What do you think he's got up his sleeve? I think you're you're going to see multiple fronts. And I think it's going to depend on the matchup. Like, for week one, I wouldn't be shocked if he went like a, a 4-2-5, you know, again, or maybe even a 3-3-5 three, three, just because – and have a coverage linebacker in there for Kyle Pitts, whoever that may be. It's going to be interesting to see how that changes week to week because I think that's what they were working on in camp. It's, you know, Fletcher Cox said, okay, like sometimes we're going to do a three-man front, sometimes we're going to do a four-man front. And, again, I think it's going to depend on the matchup. I don't think it's going to be this is my way and this is how we're going to do it. It's not like a Mandalorian thing. This is the way. No, it's the way is going to switch every week. And that's how I'm curious to see how the matchup works. And I remember um, – I'm trying to remember the defense coordinator that did. Oh, Emmett Thomas was one of those guys. He always kind of switched every week. And it, honestly, he got the most out of what he got when he was defense coordinator of the Eagles and a bunch of other teams. So I, I think Jonathan Gann's going to be the same, only he has the talent to do it. It's more of, you know, can, can are you going to pick the right matchup? And I have a feeling he is. But what I'm concerned is with this team, they're going – I think they're going to sh- – to really, really struggle sometimes against pass-heavy teams unless that pass rush gets to the quarterback. And I think that's what he has to be more creative with. How can we get to the quarterback quick and not have have them beat us on the deep ball? I, I think that's one of the reasons why Steven Nelson is here, honestly. And uh, so far, so good. He's looked good in practice, and it could end up being one of the key offseason additions for the Philadelphia Eagles this year. All right, J.K., you're reporting for CBS. You have a heavy Philadelphia lean, but you do check out the entire – National Football League. I do want to ask you about an ex-Eagle player and also an ex-Patriot player. That would be Asante Samuel, who yesterday was quoted as saying, Bill Belichick is just another coach without Tom Brady. Cancel the Asante Samuel uh, retirement jersey uh, day in New England if he's going to go down that road. Um, I, I get where he's coming from and in the who was more important to the uh, Patriots' success, put it on a scale and weigh it out. Certainly Brady is taking the lead, doing what he did last year for Tampa, and Big Bill not making the playoffs at all with the Patriots. Can you get away with making a statement like Bill Belichick is just another coach without Tom Brady? Can Asante Samuel get away with that? I mean, if he really wants to dig deeper into this, I have a graphics package for him that – Shows, yeah, you know, he's 60 and 71 without Tom Brady, or it's around those numbers. He's under 500 without Tom Brady as his quarterback. I think he only has one playoff win, if I'm correct, without Tom Brady as his quarterback. But overall, I kind of wanted to say to Asante Samuel because I've talked to him in the past. You know, Brady and Bill should have an extra Super Bowl, but I don't want to relive a Super Bowl uh, 42 memory for him because he dropped the pass from Eli Manning that would have sealed the game literally right before David Tyree had the helmet catch. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think Asante Samuel was well-liked in New England. I, I don't think he, you know, really wanted to come back there, obviously, because he signed that big deal with the Eagles. But, you know, Bill Belichick, he'll probably brush it off. And honestly, Asante Samuel helped Bill Belichick beat the Philadelphia Eagles in Super Bowl thirty-nine because I remember going in that game and starting thinking to myself, okay, William Gay and Asante Samuel, they're not – you know, the starter, they're not the starters here, even though they started the second half of the year and played really well. I, th- I thought Don McNabb and T.O. and Todd Pinkston and all those guys could basically torch them. And they threw for a lot of yards against them, but 
they were able to make a lot of key plays on third down. So Asante Samuel was really beneficial to that defense over, over the years. And maybe Asante Samuel was coming off with, okay, it you know, yeah, Brady was the big reason for it. And maybe he was kind of critiquing the Patriot way, but you know, that defense is really good, those first three Super Bowls. And they were really good in the year they, they started 18 and 0. So I don't think Again, and I, I am one of the big proponents. The Patriot way was Tom Brady, but let's not discredit the defense and the should-be Hall of Famers on that defense. I think Richard Seymour is going to be one of those guys that eventually gets in. Like, Teddy Bruschi will not be a Hall of Famer, but he was a pretty good linebacker. Lawyer Malloy was a really good safety for that team. Uh, Ty Law, you know, again, uh, I, I'm pretty sure he's in the Hall of Fame. I, I got to double-check that. But, you know, he was really good for them. It's There were a lot of guys – Maybe Asante Samuel's going off the fact that a lot of those guys on those defense were in that Super Bowl against the Packers in 96. Man, I, I, I'm really curious to see what he truly meant by that uh, than just a blanket statement. Glad to say smart minds think alike because doing shows in New York, oh, you can tick off Giant fans pretty quickly when you get oh, The Giants were a little lucky to win that Super Bowl. And I'm not referencing the Tyree Cats because there's a little luck involved there too, but it was also a hell of an individual effort by Tyree to keep composed, keep focused, and be able to put it to his helmet. Yeah, Asante Samuel dropped an interception. It was in his hands. He makes that pick. He got a different. That's where the luck came in. The luck of the Giants winning that game was more the Asante Samuel drop than the actual Tyree catch. But again, uh, going forward, um, we were supposed to have Vinny Serrato on, uh, former Washington general manager, now does talk shows down in Baltimore. I want to get into this with him. I'll get into it with you instead. I, I'm i a big John Harbaugh fan. I like the coach a lot. I think he's great. He continues to win preseason games. I'm sure he wishes he could add them to his regular season record. Uh, he does have a Super Bowl championship in his back pocket. Um, that's the toughest division in the AFC bar none. Cleveland, Pittsburgh, the Ravens, Cincinnati has the right to be better. It all comes down to a Burroughs health, and we'll see about that. Um, I don't think they're a playoff factor, but they could be better and be a little bit of a bigger pain in the butt to everybody else in that division. Ravens severely compromised to start the season with their offensive weapons. We know they lose Dobbins the entire year. Yesterday we find out two wide receivers starting the year on IR, Bateman and Boykin. Um, if you were going to think about picking Baltimore in that division, it became a little bit more difficult with the injury announcements that they came out with yesterday, didn't it? Yeah, and irony is, Jody, I picked Baltimore to win that division, and still this, or or before the injuries came this, out. This is before Dobbins, so I, I made my pick to CBS, and they asked, you know, do I want to change it? And I'm stubborn, so I said no because okay, good for I, you. I like it. Yeah, I'm pretty high on. I'm gonna be wrong, but I like it just the same. I could be really wrong here, but I was all in on the whole J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards thing. I think Gus Edwards now is gonna have a monster year because I thought he was really good to begin with, and now you got Lamar in there. And again, everybody likes to get on Lamar for his throwing ability. Who's he throwing to? Like he has no one. He has Marquise Brown and Sammy Watkins now, and that that's about it. Because you said Bateman's out, Boykin's out. Mark Andrews is going to have a big year again at tight end. He'd be a guy, if you didn't make your fantasy draft, that'd be a guy I would probably draft just, just on that merit. But overall, their defense is still really good. Um, I I think Pittsburgh is still going to be good. I, I really liked 
but I saw Najee Harris and that offensive line this yep. preseason. Um, the, you know, getting Joe Schobert uh, from Jacksonville, I think, is a big move for them. Uh, Cleveland's good. They're going to be good. Uh, you know, it's I don't think Cleveland's going to take a fall from last year because Kevin Stefanski's a really good coach, and he knows how to make Baker Mayfield more of a game manager. Like, he may have a game manager, but he's, like, a good game manager. Like, he can beat you with his arm. Because Baker Mayfield was done before last year. Like, I, I thought it's, okay, this this guy might be a bust. And Kevin Stefanski fixed him, and that's what good coaches do. So they're going to be in on it. But overall, it's tough to bet against John Harbaugh and Lamar Jacks. And I think the key for this team is they are really, really good on the road. And they're really good at home. And I, I think 12 wins is going to be enough. I think Baltimore is good enough to get 12 wins. I don't know if they're going to be a Super Bowl team or not, but – I think it, in this division, teams are going to beat each other up, and Baltimore is good enough to withstand all that heat. Very difficult division. Now I think uh, the NFC West is the toughest division in all of football because I think all four teams could potentially be playoff teams in the AFC North. I think three out of the four, sorry, Cincinnati fans, um, could uh, be in a playoff conversation. So those are the two toughest. All right, we're going to get our final time out of the day in. Johnny Max still having serious technical issues. Hopefully he's okay. His neighborhood apparently hard hit last year, last one night with Ida. His whole neighborhood is down power-wise. So we were lucky enough to have Jeff Kerr ready to rock and roll. He'll come back and help me put a bow on the show here on this edition of Birds 365. As a hardworking American, you've never experienced how tough life can be until now. A catastrophic injury while working on the job. A personal injury from someone else's negligence turned away by other law firms in the region who didn't bother to learn your story. It's time to meet the Fritz and Beyond Cooley Law Firm and managing partner Brian Fritz. Badly injured? Call the Fritz and Beyond Cooley Law Firm. Find out why they say, we got this. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with Jock and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huckenfot. What's that? Huckenfot. Go now to Steersnacks.com. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Field of life, 
First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Appreciate you jumping aboard with us here on Birds 365. Johnny Mac started the show, but we had to go to the bench. A little injury issue with John McMullen. Injury to his Wi-Fi connection, if you can call that an injury. So luckily, ready to rock and roll off the bench with Jeff Curry. Hopped in. We were going to have him on as a guest. So he sits in the co-host chair. Thank you very much for that, Jeff. Uh, the countdown is on 10 days until the Birds get it underway against the Falcons down in Atlanta. I ran this by John earlier, so let me get your take, too. Um, Ten days means a whole bunch of practice time that the Eagles get in. And I'm sure that Coach Giriani had it all laid out ahead of time from the day he got hired and got his calendar out and said, here's what we need to achieve every single day and had that big circle around uh, Sunday versus the Atlanta Falcons on the road. Uh, what do you think Sirianni needs to accomplish getting in the practices and getting in the work that he needs to between now and kickoff for game one. Yeah, in a way, Jody, it kind of feels like a bye week, doesn't it? You know, they, they get that free week where they kind of get to do game prep. And really, it's a bye week for everybody in a sense, unless you're Dallas and Tampa because they're playing on a shorter week than everybody else. But overall, I think the game plan prep starts now, like what they want to do for week one. I really want to see if Nick Sirianni uh, does kind of the Andy Reid mantra – the whole Sean Payton thing, the scripted plays. Uh, I really want to see how the, he kind of builds that into a system where it's the first 10 or first 15 plays. Kind of want to see how he attacks uh, the Falcons defense right away or what he expects. That's going to be really interesting. I'm also curious to see how he handles his first game week as a head coach. Cause as you know, Jody questions are so much different in game week than they're, than they are in training camp. Cause now that whole story of is Jalen hurt your starter or, you know, is this guy about this guy or, you know, some guy that's barely going to make the roster. Now it's going to be like, okay, what do you see in Matt Ryan? What do you see in, uh, you know, same with Jonathan Gann, you know, what, what do you see in player X or player Y or how, how are you going to attack Kyle Pitts? How are you going to attack Calvin Ridley? So overall, how the Eagles handled that first game week is going to be interesting j- just from a coaching staff standpoint. It will. And one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing, and I don't know how this is going to go, and I can't even tell you, Jeff Kerr, and any of our listeners here on Birds 365, how I'm going to handle it when it came down. All I can tell you is I enjoyed watching the Philadelphia Eagles with Doug Peterson as the head coach because I thought he was an uber-aggressive coach. And I like coaches like that. I like guys who take chances. I like guys who are willing to roll the dice. And I thought Dougie P always uh, was. I didn't always agree with him. There were times where I think he was overly aggressive. I go, oh, no, Doug, don't do that. So uh, I'm not saying I uh, gave my blessing to every single decision Doug Peterson ever made. But just in a general sense, I love the fact that he was as aggressive as he was. I'm not going to judge Nick Sirianni at all on anything that he did in the three preseason games. So we are starting week one without a knowledge of just the overall sense of, of aggressiveness of Nick Sirianni. If you were to take a guess, and I know it's unfair to comp him to Doug Peterson because I think he was like uh, far to a specific side in aggressiveness. Are people going to worry, complain, maybe even call on the carpet after the fact Nick Sirianni if he isn't Doug Peterson-like when it comes to aggression? 
Yeah, I think so. And you always compare the current coach to the previous one. And you're filling him for the one coach who was actually able to get the Eagles a Super Bowl. So that's some pretty high standards. I know Doug's tenure ended ugly here, but overall, it's I think Eagles fans could be upset if it's like fourth and two on the 28-yard line on the opponent's 28 and he kicks. That's something we're not used to in Philadelphia anymore. We're used to Doug just saying, forget it. I'm going for it. You know, I, I'm going for touchdowns. I, I don't believe field goals win football games, even though sometimes that then ended up biting Doug. I'm curious to see what Seriani does. Not on – I shouldn't even say the aggressive standpoint, but how's he going to handle the third and shorts or the fourth and shorts when he gets that? Is he going to run the ball? Is he going to try to throw it? Is he, he has a quarterback who I think – this is why I love mobile quarterbacks. This is the best weapon in football you cannot game plan for. Rolling them to the outside and guessing whether Jalen Hurts is going to run or if he's just going to flip the ball and is going to go for a first down. I think that is like one of the ultimate weapons, and especially in this game. And I'll tell you what, I think the Eagles could be a real leader in third-down conversion because of something like that. Because to be a leader in the NFL on – in third down conversions, have a high third down percentage. You kind of need a quarterback like that, and you need to convert your third and short. So Sirianni could do that. I think he will be aggressive just because he has a quarterback that can provide two dimensions of the game. Yeah, you can call a play, and then the play happens, and there are things that you can't possibly know are going to happen because it's uh, 11 guys on the field that you're not controlling called the defense. Um, so uh, it'll be very interesting to see how the Eagles get out on both uh, one wins and losses, but also perception as to how the coach is doing his job right off the bat. All right, uh, JK, again, thank you very much for hopping in and uh, picking up for Johnny Mack, whose uh, equipment went down on him. Um, we'll get you on plenty again, brother. Appreciate you coming on with us today. Uh, thanks much. Absolutely, Jody. I'll always have you come on. We will be uh, back to full strength tomorrow, or so we believe, with John McMullen rejoining us. I'll be back here tomorrow as well as we get that much closer to game one of the 2021 season here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.